Welcome to Successful Aging, the podcast designed to introduce you to industry professionals who will share information and resources related to aging. I'm your host, Judy Porter, the Development Director from the Nashua Senior Activities Center. Let's get started. Good afternoon, listeners. It's my pleasure today to have two very talented gentlemen joining me on air, discussing estate planning from an elder law standpoint and from a financial standpoint. Joining us today, we have attorney Ted Beasley, who is a very experienced estate planning and trust planning attorney. He does many seminars, has written a number of books, on this topic, so we're very fortunate to have him joining us. And along with him, we have Greg Gagney, who is a financial planner, who has an equally impressive resume with much experience in the area of financial planning and estate planning. So welcome, uh, gentlemen, to Successful Aging, the podcast of the Nashua Senior Activity Center. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having us. So this is a a very important topic that we're covering today regarding estate planning. And I know when I start using the term estate planning, it's one of those things that everyone knows that they should be doing estate planning, but then they get a little bit scared about estate planning. So one of the reasons why we've run a number of legal seminars at the Senior Center and we are doing this podcast is to demystify some of estate planning and make it a little bit less scary for people. So can the two of you address the topic of, can you give us an overview of nursing homes, the cost and Medicaid planning? Because you do hear those tragic tales of people that have worked an entire lifetime and every asset is consumed. Uh, I'd be happy to, and thank you for having us. Um, I'm Ted Beasley. I'm the lawyer of the group here today and joined with with, with me is Greg Gagne, who always is when we give these presentations. So thank you very much for having us. Uh, What Greg and I often say in the presentations is that The one thing that you want to do always is when you're sitting down to plan, you plan on the thing you know. And the thing you know is that you're going to die. We're all going to die. Um, But if we're so busy planning on the one thing we know, which is we're going to die, and we don't plan for the thing that might happen between now and death, which is a catastrophe, a stroke. Alzheimer's, dementia, something like that, well, then all of our great planning for what we know, the death, avoiding probate, how to make sure taxes are minimized, all that stuff goes down the drain because there might be no assets left when we die if prior to death we end up in a prolonged stay in a nursing home. At $10,000, $14,000 a month, it doesn't take that long to get wiped out because Greg and I do planning for average folks um, and trust for the average person. So the broad overview, keeping it simple, is that the government doesn't allow you much in the event of a nursing home stay. If you're married and your spouse 
has a stroke or ends up with Alzheimer's or something, they're allowed to keep the home in a maximum of $130,000. That's a maximum. You'll often hear folks say, oh, we get to keep a half of our assets. No, it's one half to a maximum of $130,000. Where is the rest? Your IRAs, your 401ks, where's the, the rest of that stuff go? It goes private pay to the nursing home until you've spent down to $2,500, at which point the person in the nursing home qualifies for Medicaid assistance, leaving the healthy spouse with only 130. And if there is no healthy spouse, if it's just a single person, you've got to spend down to $2,500 and the house, you've got to sell the house within six months to pay for the nursing home stay. So in a word, it's impoverishment. And legally, what we do is set up trusts and legal devices so that that doesn't happen. And most folks think that they got to do all this stuff five years in advance. That's not the case. Often, and with Greg's help, often we're able to protect assets within a month or two months without the family having to spend down at all. And I'm gonna bounce it over to Greg because he takes care of the financial end of this. Yeah, thanks, Ted. I mean, I think you really covered it uh, really, really well right off the, right coming out of the gate here. So in, in addition to the, uh, you know, the asset draining effects, the other things that we hear a lot too are, well, you know, I, I'm in a second marriage. I've got, uh, I've got uh, prenuptial agreements and things like that. And those don't hold water for Medicaid planning. So uh, when we uh, try to be tongue in cheeky about it, we like to say, you know, when I said I do, which I did, I'm done. So you got to be really careful about how you proceed in planning to protect assets from from a nursing home stay. Uh, Ted eloquently, you know, hammers it right on the on the top every time, which is plan for what we know, but be prepared for what we don't know. And uh, that's one thing that I encounter all too often when I'm uh, engaging in onboarding a new client is that they've done a pretty good job getting themselves situated to know what's going to happen with what we call their stuff when they check out of the hotel. Like who's going to inherit their money? Who's going to inherit the house? Who's going to get the camp? But what oftentimes, and Ted sees the same thing, they haven't taken any time at all to figure out what happens if they hit a pothole in the road of life and they, they get unlucky and they win the lottery of unluck and they need a nursing home and all of a sudden all bets are off. And they're being told that, get ready, you're going to need to lose all of your money and spend it all down at the nursing home. And that frankly just isn't true. You don't have to. It is to some extent voluntary. There are techniques that we deploy all the time. Some of them are financial. That's why Ted and I have been working together for almost 25 years. Uh, many of them are legal in nature. That's why Ted does what he does. When you put the two sides of the aisles together, the financial and the legal, we really have a great opportunity to protect the clients that we're lucky enough to serve, uh, particularly, those, particularly those that are in a married situation, you know, a husband and a wife. It's bad enough to watch a, a wife losing a husband to an illness or a husband losing a wife to an illness, but it's a double whammy to then watch the assets being drained out of their portfolio at, at warp speed. Um, and we've really made it part of our mission in what we do for our clients that we will, uh, at, at most opportunities, pr pr protect that from occurring, prevent it from occurring, uh, providing the clients, uh, you know, take the initiative to take the action necessary to do so. Uh, nothing beats planning in advance. Uh, you know, crisis planning is what we often see. Uh, it's salvageable. We can, we can help protect assets for the clients that we serve, but planning in advance is the best way to set yourselves up to protect yourselves from that unfortunate event uh, if it ever did occur in your life. Um, the biggest thing I see is taxes. 
on the financial side of the aisle, it's taxes. Uh, and Ted, you know, I'll flip it back to you in a minute, but one of the techniques that we utilize may result in having to uh, exhaust an IRA. And what I mean by that is cash it out in order to save it from a nursing home. So if you have like a middle-class person that's done a great job saving over their whole life and they have say $500,000 saved in a retirement account, and then they find out in order to save it from the nursing home, they have to cash the thing out. Um, they suddenly find themselves as a one percenter. They suddenly find themselves being exposed to a 37% federal income tax hit. Now, where you're right on the line in Nashua, we know that there are probably people from over the border listening to this, to this podcast as well. Add Massachusetts state income tax on top of the 37% and you're in the 40s. It's just catastrophic. It's a confiscation of wealth. We see it as unfair. We see it as unnecessary, uh, but unfortunately, we deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, Ted, maybe you can allude a little bit more to to wrap up the Medicaid piece, like the strat, you know, some of the strategies that you use. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, you 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 hit it. Um, nothing beats advanced planning, um, and and that's not to say that when a crisis hits, we can't see, like one spouse has a stroke or has Alzheimer's and there was no advanced planning. That's not to say that actually in those cases, we can protect it for the healthy spouse and protect virtually all of it. But because it's a crisis plan, as opposed to an advanced plan, you nailed it. We're gonna get hit with income taxes because a lot of the assets our clients have are in tax qualified IRAs, 401ks, and there's gonna be an income tax that we didn't need to have and we could have avoided. And you're right about the Massachusetts folks. In addition to all those horrors that Greg just laid on you, I'll lay on you an estate tax in Massachusetts. Uh, and it, it kicks in at a fairly you know, high amount for our clients, uh, but occasionally we'll meet a Massachusetts person that's a client that has over a million dollars and now they're gonna get lined up for probate, estate taxes, income taxes, the whole nine yards. Let's try and minimize that. All very important information, gentlemen. Uh, and I also have a, a question for you that I've heard from many of the seniors that they have a question about the whole probate process. And does a will avoid probate? And then I, I have heard seniors uh, discussing the fact that they have put their children's names on their accounts and deeds. And I've heard at least one senior who then had um, a grown child go through a divorce. And of course their name was on the house that the senior lived in as a jointly held asset. So can, can the two of you address the, all of the challenges of probate and, and what that big scary word means to everyone? Very happy to, because like you, I, Greg and I hear about, I mean, there isn't a week that goes by that we don't hear someone say, oh, we don't have to worry about probate. We've got, we've got that beat, Attorney Beasley. You don't even need to worry. We, we put the cottage on the lake in our daughter's name, and that's going to protect it from probate. We put the bank accounts in our son's name. And, 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 and Greg and I, we hear this all of the time. And we'll say, we'll take the camp on the lake in your daughter's name. You know, is, is she you know, happily married? Oh, yeah, Bob, greatest guy in the world. You know, and I'll say, well, he better be because, you know, if the divorce happens, uh, Bob's going to make a claim against the house on the lake. And uh, 
and, and I'll say, well, and, and what happens if your daughter dies? I mean, Bob may be the greatest guy in the world, but if your daughter dies, he's going to remarry and guess where the camp on the lake is going to go? It's going to go to Bob and guess who's not going to be out there this summer? It's going to be Bob with his new wife with a martini and gin and tonic and you're not invited. <laughs> Correct. And, so, and there's tax problems with this, not only gift tax ramifications, but capital gains taxes. When you put assets in kids' names, they become their assets and they lose a very valuable thing, which is called a step up in basis to fair market value. So when, when you ultimately die, if you've already put the, the camp on the lake in the kids' names of your house, we've had historic inflation in house prices and lake properties. All of a sudden they sell those properties and they get killed on capital gains because maybe you paid 40 grand for the place on the lake and it's now worth 400,000. And that's what's happening in this market we're in now. Well, they sell after you die and instead of paying no taxes, which had it passed to them on death would have been the case, they now get broked on $400,000 worth of capital gains taxes. So there's a million reasons why it just, it, it seems so easy. And I, I hear people say to me, well, my lawyer said do a life estate deed, arguably the worst thing you possibly can do. Greg? Uh, do you want to explain why on the, uh, before you flip it to me or I'll take it from here? Well, I, I, I'll let you and then if, if we have to tidy up, we'll tidy up. All right, you can close the loop back on the life estate. So uh, wills, go to probate. So wills do not avoid probate. Trusts avoid probate. Uh, joint ownership avoids probate, but joint ownership's a little bit nearsighted because like, look at my, myself and my wife. If I die, she gets the asset. If she dies, I get the asset. What happens when the last of the two of us dies? Who gets the asset? My kids in my case, but not until it goes through probate. So uh, joint ownership is uh, easy. Uh, joint ownership is convenient, uh, but joint ownership is definitely not the best way to avoid probate in a family's estate plan. You know, when Ted and I work with our clients, Judy, we, we kind of treat every client relationship like it's its own little business. Most businesses have a business plan, a succession plan as to what happens to the business if the business owner checks out. The family should have the same thing. They should be thinking in, in the mind's eye of having a business plan for their, for their own situation, their family, a continuity plan, if you will, as to how these assets will transfer. And one of the big ones that Ted nailed is the, uh, the lack of a stepped up basis, a uh, huge giveaway if you don't take advantage of that. And the way you don't take advantage of that is you put your kid's name on your camp. You know, I think of like some of my friends that have a camp up in Winnipesaukee, their grandparents or their, their parents bought that thing for maybe $15,000 back in the day. The thing's like $750,000 now. They put the kid's name on it. The capital gains on the whole thing other than the 15,000, that's a huge mistake. Now, under the current administration right now, there's a move afoot to possibly remove stepped up basis. So we need to keep an eye on that. And I'll tell you what we're doing between Ted and myself and, and Ted's partner, David Ferber, and the other advisors in my organization is we have our, our ear on the track of how that's moving along to find out if this is actually going to come to fruition where the Biden administration is going to actually eliminate stepped up basis because it's going to actually create more planning opportunities for people like Ted and myself, but a, a lot of problems for the clients that we serve. Uh, thankfully, uh, you know, we keep our finger on the pulse and we already have ideas as to how we're going to deal with this if it actually transpires, but it's a major problem. The life estate thing that maybe Ted will wrap back up really feels back on the uh, disability side of the aisle. You know, tell them what happens with somebody when they're like, for example, when they're uh, 
92 years old, what can happen with a life estate? Will do. I, I, I just had one of these recently and it absolutely stunned the clients. Um, years ago, they had done a deed retaining a life estate. And for those of you who don't know, a retained life estate is simply you've conveyed your, say, camp on the lake or your house to your kids or niece or nephew, whoever's close to you. But you've reserved in the deed the right to live there until you die. So that's called a life estate. And you're responsible for the taxes and the maintenance and the repairs until you die. And people think that's somehow protecting it from probate and protecting it from a nursing home. Well, it will avoid probate. Uh, you've deeded it to them. And you've reserved that right to live there until you die. The big problem is your being able to live there till you die renders it reachable by a nursing home. Now, not the whole amount, but the value of your life estate. Well, the value of your life estate, in other words, your ability to stay there until you die has value. And that value depends on how old you are, because obviously the older we get, the less our life's value is deemed. And they have bean counters, actuarials, that tell you exactly how much that life estate is worth. But just to give you, for instance, a 90-year-old person with a life estate in property who ends up in a nursing home and dies, their family owes the state 28% of the value of that property. And the younger that you are, a person who's 70, it's a 55% interest. So you're really not protecting a whole heck of a lot by conveying property and reserving a life estate. And Greg, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up that I dropped the ball terribly on this wills go to probate. I have clients every week, you have them every week who come into our office and say, we're perfectly all set. Our lawyer told us to I love you wills, everything to each other, then to our kids. We have a will, we will not end up in probate. And I explained to them, no, 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 no. Your will is a ticket to probate. Whether you die with a will or without a will, you're gonna end up in probate. And most of the time, the money you paid for the will is excessive and it does the exact same thing dying without a will would do. If we die without a will, it goes to our spouse. If we die without a will and we're say we're single, we have children, we're a widow, widower, whatever, it's going to go to the children. And so, but, but right off the bat, your ticket to probate is a will. By doing a will, you're not avoiding probate. So I'd like to remind our listeners that we are listening to attorney Ted Beasley and Greg Gagne from uh, Beasley and Ferber. Ted is an attorney. Greg is a financial planner. Both have many years of experience uh, with estate planning. I think that you can tell both have a lot of information to get out there. For those of you who are listening to this and you're thinking, wow, you know, I want to, I need to learn more about this topic to protect my assets for my family. There will be a seminar presented by these two fine gentlemen on Thursday, June 10th at the Nashua Senior Center, which is located on 70 Temple Street in Nashua from 1 to 3 p.m. To register for this free seminar, please call one 800 3705010 Once again that's 1-800-370-5010 is a free seminar 
that will help you learn more about estate planning, how to protect your assets that you have worked an entire lifetime for. Uh, and it's free. Spaces are limited. We still are under COVID restrictions, so we cannot have as many people at seminars as we historically could. So I would urge you to call and register sooner rather than later, especially after you hear the rest of this conversation, you're probably going to be saying, I need to learn more. There's so much about this topic and it's so complicated. You really wanna be dealing with people that know all the insides and outs of this topic because other than that, you could be paying money that really will not be protecting you in a way that you believe it is. So can the two of you address IRAs and how you can pass an IRA to a child or a loved one and stretch it over their lifetime? Have there been some legal changes on what's allowed under the tax code? Uh, uh, that uh, that deals with IRAs. Well, thankfully, I get to take a bit of a break and turn it over to Greg. So, Greg, you're on. Well, thanks, Ted. Thank you, Judy. Uh, yeah, so a, a lot of folks uh, have come to know this terminology called the stretch IRA. Uh, another word for it or phrase is called the inherited, inherited excuse me, IRA. And uh, that's under the old rules. And I'll get to the new ones in just a minute. But under the old rules, what used to happen is when somebody passed away, they could name uh, a, a non-spouse loved one, a beneficiary of their retirement account, and they could inherit that retirement account over their remaining life expectancy, meaning that the, if it was a regular IRA, uh, the only part that would be taxable is the distributions take, being taken. You'd have to take uh, what are called inherited required minimum distributions. It's straight from publication 590. The IRS has a chart that you have to follow, or they used to. And uh, you could continue to postpone and defer and or at least control how you were pulling the money out of the IRA. On a Roth IRA, it was even better. On a Roth IRA, it would be completely tax-free. Uh, then came the new Secure Act, changed the game. Uh, where we used to have a stretchability over a lifetime. So somebody like myself as an advisor could manipulate year-to-year -year tax planning uh, and how it might affect our client. Uh, now it's 10 years. Within 10 years, that account has to be exhausted. So if you go back to the example I used for that, you know, modest or moderately successful individual that amassed a $500,000 IRA never got disabled, thank goodness, but then did happen to pass away they left their child that IRA account, that child has 10 years to take those funds out of that IRA. And it will be completely taxed on that person's tax return. Uh, the only people that don't have to deal with that, there's two. One's a person and one's a non-natural person. The natural person's a spouse. Spousal rollover approach allows us to not worry about any stretching. We can just assume the IRA in a charity. If you name a charity, there's no taxes to the charity if they inherited an IRA. So for those that are philanthropic in tenancy, it's a pretty neat technique to look at. But for us, really, uh, when, when Ted and I are looking at the clients and the situations, we really believe charity needs to kind of start at home. Let's put walls around our own estates first. Let's make sure that we're bulletproof to the best of our ability. Make sure that we're protected. And then if we'd like to give some money away along the way and make a difference in the world, let's feel free to do so. But let's not be vulnerable in that process. So that is all recently changed. Uh, that's been effective as of 2020. And uh, we, we really see it as having uh, caused a, a major shift 
in how we work with these uh, tax deferred uh, vehicles uh, for the clients we serve. We used to think tax deferral was one of the best things since sliced bread. It's actually a nightmare. We've been trained to avoid taxes, but in this case, it's coming and it's gonna be ugly. Clients should be, and listeners should be definitely prepared to protect themselves against that uh, contingency, Judy. So this, that, this is an important uh, part of the conversation because I think our listeners also need to always be reminded the tax code changes all the time. Sometimes the biggest changes you manage to hear on the news or you catch it maybe on Twitter or Facebook, but you really want to keep up to date and you want to be dealing with industry professionals such as yourself and Attorney Beasley to make sure that things don't fall through the crack, like a tax code change that is going to have a significant impact on estate planning. So gentlemen, we have about 10 minutes left in our podcast, and there are just so many topics to cover. So I am once again going to remind people to sign up for the seminar on Thursday, June 10th at the Senior Center from 1 to 3. Call 1-800-370-5010 because this is a huge topic to cover. Uh, can the two of you address some issues surrounding capital gains taxes and the rumor that they are set to increase? And how is that going to affect estate planning? Okay, before I throw it over to Greg on the, on the capital gains, I did, I'd be remiss knowing there's only 10 minutes left um, to not mention something that Greg and I uh, get hit with every single week of our lives. And it's... Uh, Clients who come to us and they say, wow, we're really concerned. We've got a son, we've got a daughter, who if we gave them $10 today, it wouldn't last the day. You know, if we gave them $1,000 today, it wouldn't last the week. Um, we're, we know, Greg and I hear this all the time, you know, we have a great son-in-law, we have a great daughter-in-law, and, and we know the next word that's going to come out of their mouths, and that word is but. And they'll also say... We really love our kids, but truth be known, we love our grandkids more. And what, what Greg and I try to say to clients is there are so many different ways that you can set up spendthrift type provisions that protect the assets from the kids themselves, that stretches the inheritance out, kind of like Greg, what Greg, it's what brought it to my mind, Greg was just talking about when an inherited IRA. You can do stretch on any kind of an inheritance. You can make it so that the children don't get it all in a lump sum. They get it over time. And so consequently, if they get it, say, in thirds, stretched over time, there's room for forgiveness. If you've got a, a child gets interest in some principle for the first five years, and then they get a third of the balance, then there's room for forgiveness. That if they blow the balance on a Corvette and champagne, and whatever, there's still another two thirds waiting out there until they reach certain ages or certain time periods and whatnot. It can be used for health, maintenance, support, and education for grandkids. Um, that's a big part of my plan. I'm in a second marriage. I have no kids of my own, but my wife's got two children and through them, we have five grandchildren. And truth be known, absolutely, I love the grandchildren more than my wife's kids. And they know it too. And I love my wife's kids as far as I can, but I wasn't with them from the beginning. And so I've set up stuff, my wife and I, that her kids are gonna be fine when we die. Uh, but the bottom line is I, I'm making sure that there's educational funds and whatnot, through Greg actually, 
so that those grandkids are taken care of. And hopefully, because through Greg, there's large capital gains in the, in, in, in who hasn't, who's been in the market for the last couple of few years, uh, seeing capital gains. So Greg, I'll turn it back to you on that. Yeah, thanks, Ted. So, and uh, it's a great question, Judy, by the way, too. So I always visualize that sudden wealth syndrome, you know, when you leave a lot of, lot of money to somebody, Ted, like uh, it's the visualization I have is water going through a spaghetti colander. Just, it just goes so fast. And, uh, you know, the kids needed that trip to Disney or they need to get that new car. They need to get this or they needed to do that. And they just deserve it because they work so hard themselves and the money just goes up in smoke. So on the capital gain situation, it's fluid at the moment, uh, Judy. So uh, right now we have cap gain tax rates for most of the clients that Ted and I serve. Uh, some of them have a capital gain tax rate of zero, uh, most at 15 and some at 20. Uh, administration's eyeing that to increase those and set them under certain thresholds, but that perhaps people in the moderate level income brackets that we serve won't be impacted at all. I certainly don't want to turn this into a full-on political you know, conversation, but I would just say to everyone that's listening, uh, you might want to have your antenna up because when they start grabbing for something, they usually can't stop themselves from grabbing for more. So uh, just be cautious. Uh, I'm optim optimistically cautious that indeed uh, the brackets that we serve will stay as was. Uh, those making over a million dollars are going to have a higher uh, bracket structure for their capital gains. And that's notwithstanding the fact that the administration is currently looking at removing stepped up basis from which is a capital gain technique upon death uh, with also some potential limits of uh, $1 million or below would still get a step up and above would not. We'll see how that all shakes out over the rest of this year and maybe into next year. But uh, for sure, the listeners need to be tuned into this. And you made the great point, Judy, that it's such a fluid situation out there. There's so much happening so quickly. The laws, the rules, the regulations are constantly changing. It is when somebody... like shifting sand. You really yeah. need to have your antenna up at all times, which is why it's so important to deal with professionals that know what's going on and i would like to thank you two gentlemen for joining us today for all too short a period of time we will probably have you join us again on another podcast this is a huge topic and for our listeners who managed to catch just enough of this to figure out wow i really need to learn some more about estate planning for the informed consumer Thursday, June 10th at the Nashua Senior Center, 70 Temple Street, 1 to 3. You must pre-register. 1-800-370-5010 to pre-register and reserve your seat. It is free. Come and learn because I cannot tell our listeners enough times you want to be dealing with professionals that deal with these types of issues day in and day out because they know the information and they are scanning all the news to find out what's going on with taxes and capital gains and estates and, and all of that. There, there are a lot of different uh, ways to learn things, but if you deal with professionals who really know what they're doing, you will actually get accurate information. So thank you two gentlemen for joining me today and thank you listeners for tuning in 
to this episode of Successful Aging, the podcast of the Nashua Senior Center. And we hope that you will come to this seminar and join us and, and learn some more about this valuable topic. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Successful Aging. Till next time, I'm Judy Porter saying, you may have to age, but you don't have to grow old.